Hello, and welcome to the CBC The Rim podcast. CBC The Rim is a church in San Antonio, Texas. Due to COVID-19, our gatherings look a little different right now, but we encourage you to make space to lean in and listen to what God wants to say to you. We also encourage you to participate as you listen. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, um, my daughter is one and a half years old, almost exactly, and uh, her name's Tilly, and she has, uh, gosh, just a few months ago, um, we watched this shift where she went from crawling and scooting to propping herself up against the couch and walls and then venturing out and taking her first steps. And her first steps awakened so much to her. Uh, there's now these new opportunities. There's these new things that she can reach, these new things that she can experience. But along with that, there's these new dangers. And so there's a lot that's been awoken for her, but also a lot for me and my wife, Jane, as we have to keep our eyes on her constantly because she gets into everything that for us, we've also been awakened to this newness. And the reason that I share that with you today is because our first steps should lead us into awakening, and that's what we're going to talk about. What are the first steps to have stuff awaken inside of us and in the world around us? And last week, we started this brand new journey through the book of Nehemiah, which is a book that's all about rebuilding and restoring and and revival and renewal. And, And this is so key for us in this season. And here's why. Because when everything around us feels shaky, when everything feels broken, when it feels like what we need more than anything is restoration and renewal, I believe that God's got a lot that he wants to share with you and I. And so to give you just a real quick recap so that you're just landing in chapter two with us and it makes sense is that we looked at last week at the very beginning of this book that God, he speaks the world into existence, creates it, he creates mankind to have this really beautiful, powerful, I mean, intimate relationship, but we don't make it too far into the book before we just like, man, totally dismiss God. We walk away from his plans, but God isn't done. And he continues to promise that he's going to form a family for himself. And so that's what he does. He creates a family, the Israelites, and he puts them in prime real estate that kind of right in the Middle East that connects in three continents. And he constantly speaks this over them, that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to draw near to you so that you can be a blessing to the nations around. So you're going to be a beacon of hope and light and salvation for the world. But it almost instantly, uh, the Israelites just totally neglect God. And over and over again, they calls them back. They neglect and they neglect and neglect until eventually they're led into slavery and exile when the Babylonians come and totally destroy Jerusalem, destroy their capital city, the walls, the temple, all of it. And then the Assyrians, uh, excuse me, the Persians take over the Babylonians. And so what you find is the people of God are enslaved and in exile in the capital cities of Persia. And that's where we found, if we enters this guy named Nehemiah, we find him here. And in the first chapter, he hears word of his capital city being destroyed and the walls destroyed and his heart is broken. 
And we talked about how the seeds of revival, they start with us. They start with us having a broken heart, us lifting our eyes to God, and, uh, and then ultimately being willing to be used by God. And Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer to the king, which means he has this, like, he has influence, his relational influence to the king, like almost, not quite positional power, but proximity. He has lots of influence, and God is calling him to do something big. And so that's where we find ourselves in the story, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says this, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it uh, to the king. Now pause. There's a lot of information right here. Nisan, what that, that's a month. And so we know that it's been about four months since his heart is broken for the walls of Jerusalem. So for four months, that we have to ask ourselves the question, what's Nehemiah been doing? And point number one, if you're taking, if you're taking notes and writing down, and I hope that you are, because it's so hard to remember so much of this stuff. But one of the things we see is the first step of awakening for Nehemiah is he's been praying, that he's been spending time with God, he's been asking God to give him direction, to give him wisdom. He knows that he's going to have to approach the, the king. And so we see that for four months, he's been spending time with the king of kings. And then from that, it's going to give him the courage and the wisdom to then approach the king. And then the scripture goes on and it says, um, I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. And so the king looks at Nehemiah and goes, Bro, there is something wrong with your face. Like it's obvious that, that you're sad. It's not sickness. Like you're, there's depression. There's, there's a weight that you're carrying. And, and, and this is important because... A servant, in a lot of ways, wasn't allowed to be upset or sad or depressed in the presence of king. There was an expectation that you were happy, that you, you were chipper, that you, you made the king feel good. But if you, had, uh, if you looked sad, that the king could take that as having feelings of ill attempt uh, or that the servant wasn't for the king. And if the king felt that the servant wasn't on their side they would instantly have them killed. Like we have historical accounts of kings in, in Persia who just at the smallest thing would just totally, would just would kill somebody um, for, for very little reason. And so this next part, I mean, kings were crazy. This next part where Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. Of course, now that makes sense. And verse 3 says, But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Um, the, Nehemiah says, like, King, like, you, you are amazing. Like, you look fabulous. Have you been working out? Have you been losing a few pounds? Like, you're incredible. Now, I, this is so important. Nehemiah is not kissing up to the king. He's not flattering him. But I do believe that we're going to see in these next few verses uh, a few really powerful leadership lessons. And this, in some ways, is kind of a side note from the sermon, but I think it's so powerful. It gives us a little bit more context. And what I know about you guys is this. 
many of you as a part of CBC The Rim, that you are leaders in our church, in our community, in our city. And if, if you're not, I know there are many of you that feel that calling on your life. And so I wanna give you just, man, some cool leadership lessons that, that you see right here in the text. And, and the first one is this, um, that Nehemiah, he's not kissing up. Instead, what he has is he has this, he's, he's in, he has this invested interest in his leader's success. He, he's showing that he has the king's best interest at heart, that he's for the king and has invested interest in seeing him succeed. So long live the king. What he's telling King Artaxerxes is, I'm for you. Like, I'm on your side. I want you to win. And, and if, we, if we can help our leadership, the people that God has put us under, to always see that, that we want you to win, that there's a better chance of them using their influence and their power to help us accomplish what God has put inside of us. And so when it goes on, it says, Why should my face not look sad? When the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Notice that Nehemiah, he, he never mentions Jerusalem he, or, or the wall. Like, but it was the wall that broke Nehemiah's heart in chapter 1. Now, he doesn't mention it, but Nehemiah doesn't lie. Um, often, he talks about the, the burial of his ancestors, and oftentimes it was uh, the wall, the city wall, where you would bury your fathers and your parents and your loved ones. And so what he's doing is, is, is another leadership lesson. Uh, Nehemiah is connecting to the mutual values of his leader. Instead of bringing up the walls, which could have been taken as a threat since the king had destroyed this enemy city, Nehemiah instead appeals to mutual values and interest. In the ancient Near East, caring for one's dead and where they were buried is of utmost value for all people. And if you think about this, the gates were where, where the elders would gather and they would pass on their wisdom and their legacy. And so Nehemiah comes to the king and he's like, why, why wouldn't I be sad? The place where my fathers are buried and where my elders would pass on their wisdom, it's all been destroyed. And you can start to sense that because of those, that connection, those mutual values, the king's like, we got to do something about that. That's not okay. That's a problem. And a powerful leadership move on Nehemiah's part. And verse four says, the king said to me, what is it that you want? The king asked the question that every leader mentor in your life that's going to give you space or give you a chance, like an audience, if you will, that they want to know this question. What is it that you want? What is it that you want? So another leadership lesson, is all free, uh, is this. Know what it is that you want. Know what you want. We see that Nehemiah then says, then I prayed to God of heaven. So he says a quick just shout out prayer, throws one up. And, uh, and then it says, verse five, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. 
Nehemiah knows what he wants, and so he comes to the king uh, with that request. Now, there's another leadership lesson here, and I want you to see this. When Nehemiah says, if your servant has found favor in your sight, then grant me this request. What it shows us is this, that integrity leads to influence. Integrity leads to influence. Nehemiah is saying, if I've done an outstanding job, if you've been pleased with me, like if you see what, what, like what I do as a value add to our organization, then, then give me influence. And integrity gains you influence. Like no one wants to listen to the guy who always shows up late to work. The guy that you can't depend on. Or no one wants to follow the girl whose work is just mediocre and just the bare minimum. That our integrity and even our excellence will gain us influence. And then one more I'll, I'll just add for fun is this. That don't just come to your leaders with problems but to come with them, come to them with proposals and solutions that you see that he doesn't just say, hey, there's a problem in Jerusalem. All the walls are being torn down and, and you need to fix this king. I just wanted to highlight uh, just some kind of gaps in your leadership. No, he goes, hey, there's a problem here, but I have a solution. I have a solution. I even heard a story this week of a CEO that we got so tired of all of their employees just coming and dropping problems and just going, just critiquing everything of the business. And, and we need to know what's real. But eventually she said, hey, you can't abandon all problems. You should only bring problems with proposals or with potential solutions and plans. And it just shifts the organization. And so I encourage you as a leader that even, gosh, inside of our church, we have tons of gaps tons of issues and problems, and we, we need you to see those things, but come to us and let us know, man, these are ways that they can improve. I have ideas, and that it just is so, it's just a phenomenal way to find, man, favor and leadership. So, sidebar, I'm going to kick it to you, um, because I know, once again, that many of you are leaders, and I want to give you space to wrestle, and this is the question I want you to wrestle with as a house church, or if you're by yourself, just a journal. Which of the following leadership lessons is speaking the loudest to you? And if that one's speaking loud, what's a way that you could implement it into your life or a step that you could take towards it? And so whether that is, man, that you need to be invested in the leader's success or count, like connecting on the mutual values or knowing actually what you want or integrity, uh, or not just coming with problems, but also solutions. Take this time and process it. Well, in verse six, it says this, then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? 
It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe uh, conduct until I arrive in Judah. And I may have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request." So we see this, that Nehemiah has been praying for four months, asking God to do stuff. Like in that, he's been getting wisdom in that prayer so that he can actually man, influence and pour into the king. But I want you to see this. Not only is he praying, but we also see for four months, he's been coming up with a plan um, that he's been preparing for this moment. Think about this. He's a cupbearer. He, he drinks the wine. He, he's, he's, he picks the wine for the king. Like He has no, had zero training in building walls. Cupbearers don't make great wall builders. So what has he been doing? He's been reading books on how to build walls and watching YouTube video on how to pour concrete. And he's, he's been pushing away time with video games and Netflix. He's been planning. And I want you to know this, that our prayers that they don't neglect plans, that our prayers actually refine our plans, that prayer actually prepares us for the platform that God has given us, that it makes the plans more connected. So as Nehemiah is praying, asking God to do something big, he's also planning. He's, he's coming up with a game plan. And so our, our plan, I just want to share this as a church, because we're in this strange season where, gosh, everything around us feels like you know, the wall's been torn. It's six months into planting this church when everything just got flipped upside down. But to think about this, the way church has been done for the last 1,700 years, like mostly, especially in America since the birth of our nation, flipped on its head. And now so much is virtual or digital. But I want to take a second and just brag on you, church, that in this season that we haven't sat idly by, that yes, we've been praying and asking God to move in our city, to move in your hearts, for the roots to go deeper and our love for Jesus to be more intimate. But you've also been coming up with plans. And in this season, like we're watching you guys like buy backpacks for kids and needs that you're been distributing food on huge scales, like hundreds of thousands of pounds of food, but also on a small scale is that you've been hand delivering food to refugees and the homeless and people in need. That we're watching many of you Man, love your neighbors and be good news to your community by walking across the street and mowing neighbors' yards or writing them cards, just telling them that you're here for them and that you're praying for them. That you're, you've, many of you have sewn masks together when the world was out of stock. And then some of you found creative ways to get thousands of masks and hand deliver them to first responders. That you've helped people in our community that have lost jobs. Um, that you've thrown baby showers for refugee moms that uh, couldn't afford it. You've loved and fed college students. Some of them are unexpected moms. 
And many of you, it's been cool to hear stories about you starting foster classes so that you could open up your home in the midst of this crisis. And even, I love this, man, we've had some of you who just been pulled funds together and actually paid for uh, a couple of computers so that uh, some of our people could experience both the gathering and house church. And I just want you to hear me say, I'm so proud of you, church that God is moving in our city and we're watching lives be changed because of you, because you're being everyday missionaries. You're being good news right where God has you. Uh, and you continue to be radically generous with, with your time with people, with your talents and your abilities and the way that God has wired you and with your treasures. And I wanna tell you, thank you so much. Continue to be good news. And I wanna share with you really quick, a part of our plan is this next week, we have an opportunity to really love and lift our city, to love San Antonio. And we've got opportunities throughout the week spread out for us to distribute food, to pour into people who are in need. And, uh, and we want to invite you to be a part of what God's doing in our church to love the city. And so, but one of the ways that's really kind of unique for us, just on our part of town, is that God has given us a heart for the refugees. And so next this Saturday coming up, so July 25th, as a part of Love San Antonio, here's what we're going to do as a church. Around 4 p.m., so 4 to, to 6 or so, what we're going to do is we've partnered with the Children's Hunger Fund. And they are supplying, man, so many boxes uh, of food uh, for families in the refugee, in, in the refugee community. And what we want to do as a church is we want to assemble together and we want to, to take these boxes, to put some of them together, we have write cards, and it's a lot of food. It's going to take care of some families that are in really big need. And we're going to ask you, church, to meet us at basis at 4 p.m. And we're going to actually hand deliver. Like, you're going to get a chance to drive through. We're going to give you boxes, help assemble it, and then you're going to be able to take that to a specific person, like in a family, that we're going to give you, hey, this is their apartment number, this is their name, they're waiting on you and expecting you to arrive, and you're going to get a chance and to knock on the door and to hand boxes of food to families with children that are in need, that are in the refugee community. And so we want you to be a part of this. Like, we want to love and lift the city. And so, church, this is happening this Saturday. It'll give us a cool opportunity also just to, man, to see you. Uh, to maybe fist bump. Um, we were really hoping and planning on getting a chance to maybe even worship uh, at the beginning of that and, and get to actually have our public gathering together. But with the new executive order, we're kind of pulling back on that. And so we believe that we always... Like, our priority is fighting for the safety of our church, our community, and our city. And so here's what we're going to do instead. We're, we're, we're drawing this up in the sand, but we know that many of you, you just you need a touch point. And so in, in the coming weeks, the executive order is supposed to end August 12th, and the Sunday following that, and we're talking about, and I got to talk my wife into this, is what if it looked like if we just go, hey, if 30 people, maybe that's the limit, we invite you over to our house to have the gathering. Uh, and we'll just do that for, for weeks. Uh, and you can register and you know for the, for the six weeks. And that way, over the course of those six weeks, that just maybe every person in our church will have an opportunity to gather in a small gathering uh, at our home uh, to worship together, to pray together, to hear from God. And so stay tuned for that. But just know, 
Our church is making plans. We are moving forward. And in a season of crisis, we are not backing down. We're actually being more aggressive, being more good news. And uh, I have you to thank for that church. So continue on. That's our game plan. That's where we're headed. And so continuing through the text, and we'll, we'll land the plane fast. But in verse 9, it says, So I went to the governor of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. The king had also sent army officers and the, ca- the, the cavalry with me. And so here's what I want, I want to do. Church, before we, we step forward, I want to kick it to you. And I want you just to answer this question. Process this. What prayer is God asking you to turn into plans? Like, what is he putting in your heart that he's asking you, that you've been praying for it, he's actually, you need to write it out and you need to step into it. So take some time. Well, before we dive into this last point, um, I want, if you're a house church leader and you guys are going to be teaching the back half, I want to kick it to you uh, for you guys to be able to teach the lesson live. If not, if you're doing a level one or zero or just you're by yourself, you're welcome to, to stay with us. But this last and final point, we see that it starts with prayer, then it moves to a plan, and then that's what seeds the awakening. And so watch this. In verse 11, It says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts or horses with me except the one I was riding on. And by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gate, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount or horse to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall, and finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. And so I, I love this. That there's this awakening that's going to happen in Nehemiah's heart. And it happens because of proximity to the problem. That as he gets closer to it, that all of a sudden he begins to realize and identifies the problem. And then he begins to work on the potential solution. And what I want you to see is that awakening starts with us. That it starts at night. It starts in the dark as we begin to assess and we're really honest with the situation. And God begins to stir something in our heart. And once we see the problem, now we're going to see him step into it. But the awakening starts with him. And then in verse 17, it says, And I, I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start building. So they began this good work. The second part is this, is that after the awakening starts in the heart of Nehemiah, then it starts to awaken the hearts of those around them. And Nehemiah, he takes full responsibility. 
just a normal guy, privileged, working in the palace, and God breaks his heart, and he's got to get close to the prom, uh, to the problem, and then all of a sudden it's awakened, something inside of him, which then awakens something in the hearts of those around him. And we're going to see that he's going to, Nehemiah is going to receive a lot of opposition for this, but we're going to talk about that later in another sermon. But this is how I want, hopefully, illustrate this, and this will make sense. I want you to imagine that this lighter, if you will, if we, we realize that, like, that, we, that there's an issue, we need, we need heat, we need fire, and so we pray, we go, God, we want your supernatural ability, we want to see you do something that, that we can't do, and maybe the lighter represents our plan, we structure something that, that could actually help us man, accomplish our goal, but don't, don't miss this, if this candle here represents me and you, that if we, if we stay distant, that it's impossible to experience this awakening, we stay far, but proximity is we get close to the problem that we watch God actually begin to awaken something in our heart. That all of a sudden there's this fire that's set up inside of us. It's burning that we can't control. And this is important. Why? The awakening starts with me and it starts with you. It's then and only then that as you get closer to other people that the fire is passed on, that the awakening happens to those around you. And I love this, the beauty of, the, there's this old saying that, that this, this fire being passed on to this one costs this candle nothing, nothing extra. And God wants to do something in your life and in your heart that's not only going to be for your good and for his glory, but I pray that your leadership would actually awaken the hearts of those around you and that you would get to mobilize the influence that God has given you to help restore and rebuild everything that's around you. I'll end with this. Nehemiah is this humble servant that is sent by the king and he rides into all of the brokenness and then he formulates a plan to restore that brokenness. But really that's just a shadow of the greater Nehemiah that's to come, Jesus. And Jesus isn't sent by the king, he's actually the king of kings uh, who humbles himself to the point of becoming a servant. And he rides into the brokenness and he, man, he, he sees all of the issues and then he gives his life. That was the plan. He gives his life to restore what is broken, to restore our relationship with the God of the universe. And church, listen, if you're participating in this gathering right now and you don't personally know the God of the universe, I want you to know that that's where the awakening starts, with meeting the God who loves you and designs you to, 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 to have an intimate relationship with him, that you surrendering your life to him is what Jesus says, it gives you life and life to the fullest. That's awakening. And it's then and only then that you can take that, that beginning, that revival, that renewal, that restoration, and you can take it to others that you can't pass on to others what you haven't personally received yourself. 
And so if you don't know Jesus, I mean, I encourage you and let us know. We would love, humbly, we'd love to introduce you to him. He's changed my heart. He's changed the team, so many people in our church. And we would be honored to get to just tell you. So, I mean, you can let us know in the chat. You can send a private message to us. You can raise your hand in the thing and we'll follow up with you this week, uh, maybe on FaceTime or if you feel comfortable grabbing coffee. We would personally love to tell you about this God. Church, we're going to need a lot of rebuilding, both internally and and in the world in which we live. And we believe for such a time as this that God has called this church, CBC The Rim, that he planted this thing in 2019 because he knew there was a big issue coming in 2020 and he needed a church that would be able to step into the darkness and change the world. And that's our chance. And I'm proud of you. And I'm grateful and I'm excited to see what God does in the coming days. I'm excited about July 25th and getting to see many of your faces and getting to watch you and get to know the refugees and love them well. And so we want you to be a part of that. And uh, I want to give you just some space, give you 120 seconds for you just to sit with Jesus and just ask uh, these two questions. God, from your word, from this message, what are you saying to me? And then how Are you going to say yes to him? How are you going to respond to it? So take the time. I love you, church. Thank you for listening to the CBC The Rim podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to learn more about CBC The Rim, such as our online gathering times, you can find us at cbctherim.com or on Instagram and Facebook at CBC The Rim. We hope to see you soon.